about this morning, I give it a title, We Must Get Back to the Heart of the Matter. I think I, there's a song along those lines. But, uh, and I'm going to come to you from Acts, the 8th chapter. And we want to talk about the ministry of a guy named Philip. And we'll explain how we get there and what his ministry was all about as we go along here. But uh, there is a, a verse in this portion of Scripture that I'm going to read to you that really stood out to me as I was in my study and I kind of tried to build a mountain out of that molehill, that one thought, if you would, to bring a message to you. So um, if you'll turn to Acts, the eighth chapter, we'll look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for all you do for your people. It's all about you, Lord, and it's all about souls. So help us to be mindful of the word that we need to understand. Holy Spirit, deliver it to us. Keep it in our hearts and make it sound real to us, something we want to follow. It'll be a guide, a light unto our path, as David said, and that, Lord, we could use the word of God to be the people you want us to be. So bless this time together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to read four verses out of Acts, the eighth chapter. I want to start with verse four. And of course, it starts with. Huh? No, he's wrong. It should be four. Okay. Well, I, I probably did it wrong. It's my fault, but that's not right. I'm going to start in verse. Well, I, I could start in five because verse four says, therefore, and we don't know what therefore is leading, coming from. You will, though, here in about a uh, few minutes anyway. Therefore they were scattered abroad and went every place preaching the word. Then Philip, we're going to talk about Philip today. How many of you know what Philip did, where he came from, what his job was? Philip was not one of the original 12 disciples, but he was very active in the book of Acts. We're going to see why. And Philip went down to the city of Samaria. You ever heard of Samaria before? Okay, we're going to find out a little bit more about it. All right. Samaria is ba basically the key city or the biggest city or uh, community between Galilee, where Jesus was from, Nazareth, Capernaum, the, the Sea of Galilee area in the north, and Jerusalem in the south. All right. So it was the it, halfway in between. I, I don't know if it was exactly half, but it was between. So he went to Samaria preached Christ unto them and the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake hearing and seeing the miracles which he did for the unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them and many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed, and there was great joy in that city. How about that stuff? How would you like to have a city where it's known for its great joy? Well, here we find, and I'm going to give it to you in a nutshell this morning. It's not going to take me that long to do it. And we're going to give you the entire ministry of a guy called Philip. Now, Philip... He uh, was in the ministry of Christ, but you've got to look around to find out where he came from. So we're going to set the stage for his ministry. And in our minds, 
Let's think back to Acts the sixth chapter. Or you can turn back one page. In Acts the sixth chapter, I don't know if I gave that to Mike or not either. But in Acts the sixth chapter, I'll just, I'm not going to read I'll just tell you about it. In Acts the sixth chapter, the church was growing in leaps and bounds. It started on the day of Pentecost in Acts the second chapter. 3,000 got saved. Amen? Early in the morning, 3,000 got saved. How would you like to go to church where 3,000 got saved? And then in that evening, they had an evening service and 5,000 got saved. This church is just busting the walls out. Amen? That'd be pretty cool to go to church where basically the scripture says and every day people were coming to the realization that Jesus Christ had laid down his life for their sins. They were accepting him and getting saved daily, the scripture says. Now they may, within a, a few weeks, be operating a church of 10,000. Easily that could be assumed from this information we have in the book of Acts. What does a lot of those people bring along with them? When you have people, believe it or not, you have issues. All right? It just works that way. Amen? Everybody's got their problems. Everybody needs something. Well, in this particular church, we get to the sixth chapter, and the disciples that were here, they were called apostles because now they are sent. The difference between a disciple and an apostle, a disciple is a learner or a student or an understudy, an apostle is a disciple that now has sent out to do what he has been trained to do or taught to do. So now they're apostles. They're reaching out, winning the world. Congregation is just growing in leaps and bounds. Amen. Now, not all of the people in Jerusalem is happy about that. There are some that actually are upset about it. We heard about it in Sunday school about a guy named Saul that was upset about all these Christians getting straightened out. He didn't like that. But here we have in 6th chapter, the apostles are so busy. You can say, how busy were they? Well, they were so busy that they couldn't keep up with all the needs that other people had. And in course here we find that there were people that were murmuring because some of the widows were not getting taken care of in what they called the daily menstruation. I don't know what all that means and I don't know what all they did in that daily time but they just did not have enough people to cover all the needs of the thousands that were saved so what do you do they called a meeting of all the ones that they thought were top class or top rung of the ladder if you would of the spiritual people in Jerusalem's church the only church there was. There was only one. Still only one. It's the church. Amen? But we're all part of it. Now, it doesn't mean it's in Mason or it doesn't mean it's in Jerusalem. It's worldwide and it's whoever's saved is part of it. Okay. So they had so many things they had to get done and they couldn't get to all of them. So they called everybody together and said, we need more people. We need more leaders. So they said, okay, well, here's, here's eight men we find that's good. And, of course, we don't know the names of them. We only know the names of two of them in this particular chapter. The, when they charged them, they prayed for them, laid hands on them, said, go get them, tiger. One of them was Philip and one of them was Stephen. 
Well, if you want to know the entirety of Stephen's ministry, you read Acts, the seventh chapter. It begins with him going out and preaching. Um, uh, I don't know whether that caused the rest of them not to want to go out or not, but he only lasted a day or so until they stoned him and killed him. All right? So any of you looking to get into the ministry, <clears throat> be careful. Sometimes it's dangerous. Amen? So we find then that uh, uh, Stephen did his ministry and went one way, but uh, we find by the scriptures that we read that Philip went to Samaria and started preaching. Amen? So we read a little bit of that to you this morning, but I do want to make sure that you understand in between where Philip was in Samaria and what was going on in Jerusalem, uh, there was another fellow named Saul who was on his way to Damascus, and as he was on the way there, a light shined out of heaven brighter than the noonday light. We learned about that in Sunday school this morning. His name was Saul. He blinded. He went into town. They led him by the hand, and God spoke to a guy in town named Ananias, said, Ananias, go down and pray for Saul. He can receive his sight. And Ananias said, I think you got the wrong guy. I don't think I want to go. He's been trying to kill all the Christians he finds. And I'd rather serve you a few more days than go down and face a man that wants to cut my head off. He said, well, don't worry about it. I've already taken care of that. He's already got a change of heart. And of course, thanks to that change of heart, we've got 13 more books of the New Testament written by a man named Paul. So he laid his hands on him. He received his sight. And Paul went on to minister in a great way. Of course, God called him to minister to the, what we call the Gentiles. You was either a Jew or a Gentile. All right? The Jews thought they had a corner on salvation. The Gentiles just felt like, well, we ain't got a chance. Who cares how we live? Paul changed their mind. You can become part of this church that you hear about that's going great in Jerusalem, but it's going to take a change of heart. You're going to have to go to Jesus, get rid of your sin, get rid of your habits, and then you'll have what you need. Okay, well, that's what you would read if you was reading in Acts, the eighth chapter, in the first three verses. We skipped over that. We're not talking about Saul this morning. Just wanted to let you know where he came from. But in the verse four, down through verse eight, is where Philip comes on the scene. Amen? So Philip left Jerusalem. He was led by the Holy Spirit to Samaria. He felt comfortable there. Stephen didn't get that far. He got killed before he got out of town. But said, so Philip said, uh, I think it's best if I hit the road. You know, one of the things that causes the church to spread and grow around the world the most? Tribulation. Persecution. Amen? You know, a lot of people run from persecution. And God can use that as much as he does use those that are persecuted. Amen? It just works that way. So don't be afraid. If somebody's got a gun and says, if you don't move, I'm going to whatever. If I was you, I'd move. That's advice. But listen to the Holy Spirit. He'll tell you what to do. So the Holy Spirit seemingly... Uh, uh, took Philip, if you would, to the Samaritans, and it looks like they greeted him with open arms. He was welcome in Samaria. 
Now we have to go back another rabbit trail and find out a little bit about the Samaritans. If you know anything about the Samaritans, you would go back to John the fourth chapter. And in John the fourth chapter, there's a guy named Jesus who went to the Passover like he did every year and he's on his way home from the Passover and it's hot and sweaty and nasty day to get home and as he's on his way home he stops at right outside the city of Samaria sends his disciples on into town to get some lunch and while he's sitting there by Jacob's well there's a lady that comes out that's a Samaritan and she comes out with her pitcher to get some water out of Jacob's well. And so uh, uh, when she comes out, Jesus asks her, Hey, would you mind getting me a drink of water? Amen? I want to back up, though, and make one thing clear, that when Jesus did that in verse 4, thanks for reminding me, Mike, he said he must needs go through Samaria. That was not the direct route home but he said I gotta go that way well Jesus knows what's in Samaria that he wants to run into and in verse number nine he says then saith the woman of Samaria how is it that thou being a Jew ask me a drink of water he said can you just give me a cup of water I'm kind of tired we've been walking since Jerusalem you know how far that is don't you that's a long ways amen I'm just thirsty well can you give me a drink of water she said, sorry, I'm a Samaritan. And I can tell you're a Jew. We don't have any dealings one with the other. Huh, pretty cut and dry, isn't it? Isn't that a shame that people because of history or because of other problems don't have any dealings one with the other? Sounds to me more like the Hatfields and McCoys. Amen? They were ready to fight at the drop of a hat. Amen? Well, here he is. And Jesus said unto her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that uh, says to thee, Give me a drink of water, you'd ask him and he'd give you living water. She never heard of living water before. Amen. Didn't know what it was, but she was interested in, in having a connection with that living water because it sounded so good. You know, if I had living water, I'd never thirst again. That's what he said. How about that? That means I don't have to come up here every day at noon and be embarrassed because of my lifestyle that everybody points at me as I walk by and say, oh, that's her. Kids, get away from her. Stay away from her. She doesn't live the way you and I want to have our lives. Uh, matter of fact, I think they called her a prostitute. But she said, I'd, I'd really rather not come here any longer. Amen? So he, as she... Uh, sits down and talks with Jesus, if you would, over a cup of water. Uh, they're just talking and having things hashed out. And the, the meanwhile, the disciples, they've went to get lunch, and Jesus is sitting there talking with this woman. And it took the woman by surprise. Again, the Samaritans and the Jews, they didn't even bother talking to one another, let alone having a glass of water together. But uh, he changes that in verse 10 by talking about the living water. But it's just um, uh, the end of the story when Jesus wins that woman to the, uh, back to him by proving who he is and the fact that uh, he is Jesus, that she's heard so much about from the people in Jerusalem. 
And now he's uh, sitting there with a prophet that tells her everything about her life. He says, you got a husband? Go get your husband. She says, oh, I don't have a husband. She said, no, I, I guess you got that right. You already had five and the one you're living with now is not even your husband. Well, that took her by surprise that somebody knew her that had never met her. She interpreted that as he's a prophet. Amen. So she went into town. And of course, you'll read this from verses 39 to 42. And a revival breaks out in Samaria based on this woman's encounter with Jesus at uh, Jacob's well on the outskirts of town. She said, come see this man. He told me everything about myself. He can, re he can do it all. Well, he can. And uh, she didn't really have a whole lot to uh, have it, uh, that kind of testimony. But we find out a great revival broke out from the, that well meeting. And, and uh, the Samaritans were all fired up. And it touched their heart, the scripture says. They believed the Messiah had passed through their city. So now we've got Philip coming to town. Fast forward again to Acts 8, our text. See how excited these people were? Because Jesus had been to their town once, had testified to a woman that probably was a woman that didn't have a whole lot of clout or clarity in her life for those folks. Matter of fact, most of them wanted to even avoid her probably as much as they wanted to avoid the Jews. So here we have somebody that can stand up, and now we have the first preacher from Jerusalem, and they heard the noise that's going on down there. Thousands are getting saved. Everybody that they talk to are getting healed. Devils are being cast out every turn. And now we got that man coming to our city? Hmm, no doubt. They'd put the teaching of Christ that they got when he met the woman at the well into action in their town. You know, I don't know what he said to her that stuck or where they got any idea of what Jesus was teaching. I don't know if they went down to Jerusalem and got some of his transcripts or what they did, I don't know. But no doubt, they heard that this guy that they thought so much of and how he had changed their town had been crucified. But that's not all they heard. They even heard God called him back from the dead. He resurrected. And you know what else? He was walking around the countryside talking to his disciples, sometimes in Jerusalem, sometimes in Galilee. You know, good news like that travels pretty fast. Amen? You, don't, you know that when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, a lot of people came to that following Passover a week later because they didn't want to see Jesus. They weren't even really all that much interested in the Passover. The scripture says they came to see Lazarus who had been raised from the dead. The scripture tells us that. Isn't that something? And if there's somebody named Jesus walking around the countryside, we heard he was in Galilee, we heard he's in Jerusalem, and we're in the middle. He must have went through here sometime. We just probably didn't recognize him. But boy, I'd sure like to meet a guy like that. 
Amen. I know what they mean because I even have met people that passed away, if you want to say that. Their heart stopped, they flatlined, whatever you want to call it. And then they got shocked or beat or jump started or whatever, and they came back to life. When I hear that, I always want to ask them, what did you see while they were dead before they came back? Huh. And none of them could ever tell me a thing. Now, I know there are books written and there are stories told about people that died and was in, uh, in, on the other side, I'll just say that, for a period of time and they came back and gave a testimony, wrote a book about it, probably sold a lot of books about it because I kind of think it'd be interesting to know a little bit more about what's on the other side. That way I'll recognize it when I get there. Amen? You never know. But here we've got Jesus walking around alive in their territory and they want to know more about it. So when Philip came, isn't it any wonder? They opened their arms and said, come on down, but tell us what you know. You know anything about this Jesus? And he filled them in. Amen. So they were doing well. They uh, enjoyed the revival, if you would. And so here we go. They're the excited about what Jesus has got for them. Then in verse 6, it says, The people with one accord. I'm amazed at what the words one accord, when they appear in the Bible, or the word unity, the context around that as to what God can do through a group of people that agree. Because I know what God can do with a group of people that all they want to do is argue and fuss and fight and try to prove who's right and try to prove who's wrong. That don't get anywhere with God. Amen? But you find some people that are in one accord. Amen? We found them on Acts, the second chapter, after about 10,000 people got saved. The scripture says they were in one accord. They were taking Jerusalem by storm. I mean, people were getting saved left and right. Amen? Well, Philip spake to them, and you'll find joy in the Spirit when any people seek God with all their heart in a spirit of unity. Amen? Amen. Now, I'm not going to say it yet, but I, I don't read where we were arguing over who's the greatest in the church. They didn't fuss over the color of the paint or the color of the carpet. They just wanted to know Jesus in a greater way. Now, when the people of God are in unity in the Spirit, God can send them the leader that they need at the right time, and the Spirit's results will follow with healings, devils being cast out. There'll be a great thing going on around that. Matter of fact, they'll bring sick people. Instead of requesting prayer for them, they'll bring them right to Jesus' feet or to the apostles' feet, and they can get healed. Amen? So now as we come down through here and read this, Let's say in verse 8 said there was great joy in that city. That sounds good to me. There's not very many cities in this world that can be said of them. There's great joy in that city. Amen? Amen. You think of the ones with the brightest lights and the most entertainment or whatever you want to say. Um, maybe Las Vegas, you might say, oh, that's the city of joy. No, 
what happens there has to stay there. Amen? And I think it should. Amen? They deserve it. All right. So now, that sets the stage. Are you ready for the message now? Verse number 9. It says, but... Isn't that something how God always puts that word in there? Amen. That's one of our study words. There was a certain man called Simon. Hmm. Which before in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria. You know why they had, could have a... You know what that just says to me? They had a false preacher. You know why they could have a false preacher? Because they didn't have any true preachers. You're either true or you're false. All right? Now, just because you preach something wrong doesn't make you false. You're false when you promote false things. All right? So here we've got somebody coming to town that's preaching truth. Man, when the truth hits your ears, does it ring true? Amen? It beats all that false stuff you've been fed all that time all the way down through there. So here we have Simon's ministry in verses 9 through 11. And here this says uh, that he, uh, the sorcery bewitched the people of Samaria, given out that he himself was somebody great. If somebody tells you they're great, hmm, amen. You should usually have access to a pen when you're around people like that. So when their ego gets inflated, you can just pop their bubble and bring them back to earth. Amen? Now, in verse 10, to whom they all gave heed. Why? They had nobody else. Amen? He was it. From the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. Well, they didn't have nobody to dispute it or to point out his Weaknesses, or whatever you want to call them. Verse 11, to whom they um, had regard because of a long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. Amen? He just told it like it was, like he thought it was, and they had nothing to compare it to, so they grabbed it. Verse number 12. What's the first verse in number 12? First word? But, here we go again. Amen? But when Philip, when they believe Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Ah, now this one does ring true. Amen? Philip's not trying to prove how smart he is. He's trying to prove how smart Jesus is. He's not proving how Philip can save you. He's trying to prove how Jesus can save you. Amen? Don't buy anything from a minister that says, you come to my church and I'll get you saved. No, he can't save nobody. Only Jesus can save. So here we have Simon himself believed also, it says in verse 13. And so if he's going to believe what's going on here, he wanted to be able to do everything Philip was doing. Because if he could do that, he knew Philip's probably going to move on in just a few weeks after a revival here in Samaria. And we're going to have a great revival. And he's going to leave. And I want to kind of pick up where he left off and still go back to having all the accolades that I was getting before Philip came. See how that works? Woo! So he wanted to do everything Philip was doing. 
course, in verse 19, we see the word now. Uh-huh. What's going on now? Now, when the apostles, remember where they were, where were they at? They're back in Jerusalem. Word came from Samaria to Jerusalem. Man, they're getting saved in Samaria the same way everybody's getting saved in Jerusalem. All they needed was a little bit of light of the gospel and people were bowing and being baptized and they want to do great things for God. Amen. So the big dogs in Jerusalem decided they better go up and check it out. So they send their two biggest dogs. Who are they? Peter and John, the big boys. We're sending in the real troops. All right, so they go up there and of course, when they get there, in verse 14, they sent Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. Now, they wanted to live right. They confessed their sins. They wanted to be baptized. But you know what kind of experience they really got? Even though they believed in Jesus, they didn't get much farther than they would have gotten if they would have been following John the Baptist. They repented of their sins and were baptized. Well, John the Baptist did that. But Jesus goes one step farther. He puts the Holy Spirit in your heart. Amen? And now they need to receive the Holy Spirit, just like they did in Jerusalem. There's a difference. Amen? So here's the difference. So they went there, and Peter and John, they went there to try to move the spiritual needle of the Samaritans take that revival even farther in the things of God and when verse in verse 17 he says when they laid their hands on them they received the Holy Spirit aha now we've got everything all of our ducks are in a row we've repented of our sins we've been baptized and now we've received the Holy Spirit man oh man have we got it right now and Simon says aha that's what I need, the power to lay my hands on somebody that they might receive the Holy Spirit. So he offered Peter and John some money. Teach me how to do that and I'll slip you a 50 on the side. Hmm. You know what Peter said to that, don't you? <laughs> oh no, here we go. So when Simon saw the laying on of the apostles' hand, the Holy, Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money. Hmm. Saying, you know, those pastors, they're pretty rich. They overpay most of them. You know that, right? So he offered money just to get a little more clout with the congregation. Amen. So in verse 19, saying, Give me also this power that on whom I lay my hands on, he may receive the Holy Ghost. Verse 20, Peter would have nothing to do with it. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee because thou hast thought that the gift of God might be purchased with money. I got to tell you something. Now, I don't care how righteous or holy you think you are, how much money you got in your pocket does not influence me one bit, one way or the other. Amen? I've often said, you know that Jesus made a big deal out of the two mites that the widow put in the offering plate in the temple? I've often said the church operates 
on the backs of the widows. Your money doesn't impress us. Your heart will. Amen. In verse number 21 there, Peter goes a little farther. says, I've got to tell you, you don't have partner lot in what's going on here because for, see the word for there after that colon? What's for mean? Because thy heart hmm, is not right in the sight of God. By that statement right there, when Peter told him, your heart's not right in the sight of God, is the thought that I picked up out of this to build this message on. See, it only took me about 40 minutes to get there. Amen. And now we'll wrap it up pretty quick from here. But here we've got Peter telling him, money won't do it. Money's not going to get the job done. All it's going to take is a heart that's right with God. Amen. Peter didn't stutter. Peter didn't hesitate. Peter didn't uh, bite his tongue or mix his words. He told him point blank, your heart's not right with God. Amen? That's what he needed to hear. Amen? So the key lesson that we can take from this in this scripture, he's saying to him, if your heart's not right with God, you're not right with me. You're not right with this congregation. From that statement, we should all agree we've got to get back to the heart of the matter. Amen? From there, Simon asked for prayer. The scripture tells us. You can read about it. Well, let me just read verse 25 to you from that. And they, when they had testified and preached the word of God, returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Amen? So they're preaching as they go when they leave Samaria. Now, Peter says you need to get your heart right. He repents and hopefully got things straightened out with God. And I, the thing I always like to understand in verse number 25, and they, who's they? When they, well, if you want to look at that from what we could read there, that they could include Peter and John, could include Philip and Simon, and even many others. What'd they do? Those four at least preached the word in many of the villages of the Samaritans. Of course, Peter and John went back to Jerusalem, and if you want to read verse 26, it tells you where Philip went. He went down to Gaza. And while he was there, he continued the whole matter there. Now that's basically the whole ministry of the guy named Philip. He met some people uh, that were headed to Egypt when they were there. He ran into a queen that was uh, in a uh, parade, I guess I could call it. Or they were on their way to uh, another country and he stops them. And, and he happens to notice this one guy's reading some scriptures. He said, hey, what do you think about that scripture? And the guy says, man, I've read it and read it. I don't understand it. Can you help me understand this? And Philip said, huh, I can help you. And guess what? He accepted Christ. And he said, well, there's some water. Can I get baptized? Well, hallelujah. Yes, you can. 
So he baptized him, and after he baptized him, um, this time I believe he received the Holy Spirit because Philip had a lesson in how to give the Holy Spirit to people or lead them to the Holy Spirit when they got baptized. And so right there and then, that's what happened in that situation. So uh, the church was moving forward in Samaria because they had seen the heart of the matter. Let me say right here now, if you get your heart right with God, it'll guide you to do God's will in this life and in the life to come. Your heart has to be right in both of those areas. Amen? Your heart's choices have both future consequences and eternal consequences. Think about it. I've met people that appear outwardly to be in great shape. But when they spoke, and I meant great shape with the church even. But when they spoke, they revealed their heart, and I realized they really need some help. Amen? You'll, you'll know them when you talk to them. Because Jesus said, out of your heart flows the issues of life. Amen? I don't know the statistics. To what percentage of people in our country die of heart issues, heart defects, heart disease, whatever they want to say about heart. But when your heart stops in this life, you're in trouble. Amen? Amen. You don't have much longer after that. Amen? But I do know that in the church, everyone that walks away from God... And the church is suffering from a major heart issue. Doctors can tell you what you can do for your hearts to shape it up physically. You can have the right kind of diet, the right kind of exercise, get a lot of regular sleep. Those are things that are supposed to really be good for your heart. Plus, you can get doctor checkups. Amen. Let them know. They asked me to wear a heart monitor for a couple of days. I put it on. They said they'd tell me what, what's going on with my heart the next day. I turned it in. I haven't heard from them since. I don't know what the holdup is. Either they're in shock or I'm dead and they haven't told me yet. I don't know. Everything I want to do uh, is what I want to see and be for God. Amen. But only the two witnesses can give your heart the spiritual checkup that you need to do to keep your life in line with God. Amen? Now, if you have a defective heart in this world physically, it can re restrict your ability to do the things you once enjoyed or once did. Amen? But... If your spiritual heart's defective, you won't even get the first base in the things of God that he wants you to have or you desire to be blessed of God with, not only in this world, but in the world to come. Amen? Where should we turn if we find we've got any kind of heart condition? I just want to read a few scriptures to you before I shut it down but in Jeremiah 
it's in here. I know it is somewhere. There, there. Jeremiah. I've got down 1719. Let's see what he had to say about your heart condition. Dun, dun, dun. I got that right? Nine, not 19, sorry. That didn't look right when I read it. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I can tell you who can know it. Verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. God knows your heart. He calls them the reins. You know why reins were used for? Well, the best mode of travel they had in those days were on animals. And every animal that was controlled was controlled by the rider with reins. Whether it was a horse, whether it was a camel, it don't matter. They had to be trained to obey the writer, or he's just a wild animal. Well, God's saying the same thing about you and I. If you don't let God have control of your heart, you're just a wild animal. You're running in this world, letting the devil take you where he wants to take you. You can do the things you think are enjoyable in this life, but I'm telling you, you're going to be in trouble with God. Amen? David said in Psalm 51, when he was in trouble with God, you know he got in trouble with God? He did. You ever heard of a woman named Bathsheba? Well, he got in trouble with that woman and it caused him to not only commit fornication, adultery, and murder, uh, but he came to the realization he had done messed up. In Psalm 51, is his prayer for getting back in shape with God, if you would. And in verse number 10, he says, Create in me a new heart. Amen. So we need to go with that. There's more to it there. I had more for Mike to put up there, but I'm cutting to the chase. Create in me a new heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Amen. Now, what did the Samaritans have when they saw Philip and was glad he came to town? They were in one accord, and there was a city full of joy, the Scripture says. You don't have joy in your life. I'm talking about true joy. I'm not talking about happiness. There's a difference between being happy and, and having joy. Amen? And true joy comes from knowing your heart is right with God. Amen. That's what David wanted to know about. In Proverbs, the third chapter, the Proverbs writer says in verse 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Does that leave any leeway or any excuses? Or No, it's with all your heart. And lean not to your own understanding. I've done that before. Boy, that'll get you in trouble in a hurry. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. So if we're going to get to the heart of the matter, we're going to have to be in touch with God. We're going to have to let the two witnesses, His Word and His Spirit, be what we need to be the people God wants us to be. Amen? Solomon says, if you don't trust with your old heart, 
you'll end up following your own path. That's just natural. We all have a path in our life, don't we? And we're going to follow our hearts. Amen. If it's raining outside, what are you going to do? You're going to grab an umbrella. You know to do that. Amen. Some of us have natural instincts to know what's right to do. But when it comes to serving the Lord and being right with God and making right choices, you need to let your heart be in tune with the heart of God. Amen? Now, if you'd been Simon in the past and wanted to appear right before others, why not go one step farther and get your heart right with God? Hopefully, that's what Simon did in Samaria. I don't know if there's any other place in the scriptures where I can read of any great thing that's going on in Samaria that was led by the evangelist Simon. I don't read of any of that unless I missed it somehow or just didn't see it. I don't know. If you know of it, bring it to my attention. I'd like to know it. But you know, I do think about the other, uh, how others think of me, but what I want to do is have God's approval on me more than man's approval. Amen? That wasn't Simon's initial issue. He wanted man's approval, and he didn't even know about God's approval until the big dogs came from Jerusalem and told him what he needed to do. So let's get serious with God. Amen? We got to get the heart of the matter at all costs. Amen? Let God give us a checkup from the heart up and be the people God desires for us to be. Amen? If it'll work for Simon, it'll work for you and me. Amen? Amen. All right. And remember, Jesus never said it'd be easy. Just worth it. Let